Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided tech marketplace where we're organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. I'm excited to welcome Colleen Cutcliffe, co-founder and CEO of Pendulum Therapeutics. Colleen, appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. We'd love to start off for the listeners to just give a quick background on yourself and how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to participate. As I was saying, I wish that this podcast were available when I was starting my company. (laughs) So my background is pretty hardcore scientist. So I did a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology, followed by a pretty traditional postdoc at Northwestern Children's Memorial Hospital. And then I moved out to the Bay Area where I worked at a pharmaceutical company, followed by an early stage biotech company, and then started Pendulum Therapeutics about six or seven years ago with two co-founders. So I really came up through the scientist track and managing and leading teams within R&D, and then saw an opportunity to start this microbiome company, and that's what I've been doing since. Awesome. What got you interested initially in the microbiome? I think there were a few things that got me interested in the microbiome. First of all, just sort of an intellectual interest. This was a space that had been sort of percolating in the academic realm for a little while, really enabled by DNA sequencing technologies. And I was at a DNA sequencing company before I started this one. And so from a just interest standpoint, it seemed like there was a growing ability to understand this microbiome thing from sequencing and that it was potentially a new opportunity in in science and medicine that didn't exist before. I think the second thing that was really interesting to me is this application of DNA sequencing in the microbiome space. And so the ability to integrate different types of sequencing data in order to get high resolution insights into the microbiome that could then be used to identify diagnostics or interventions was a real technical challenge at that time, uh, and I think it still is actually, and it was one of the advantages that me and my two co-founders felt that we had, having been deep in the DNA sequencing instrumentation space and understanding how to use that data and apply it in the microbiome, we felt like there was a gap in the way that people were really trying to do discovery at a fundamental level. People were sort of trying to figure out what is the cheapest way I can sequence a microbiome, and we actually put a stake in the ground at the other end, which is it's not about cost, it's about how much data you can accumulate from the microbiome, and that's the relevant thing to look at. So that was really compelling. There was a gap in the way people were doing discovery that we thought we could fill. And then the third thing that was compelling for me was really a personal one. So as I started to learn more about the microbiome space and what affects the microbiome, I started to realize that I might have my own personal connection, which was through my daughter. She was born about eight weeks premature. And when you have a baby that's born that early, you basically get to see them for a few seconds and then they get taken away to the ICN. And for the first four weeks of Annabella's life, she lived in the ICN. Mm. And you also get multiple doses of antibiotics. Uh, And that's not because the baby has an infection. It's a prophylactic because they're so weak and fragile. Mm. They don't want them to get an infection. And so as I started reading about the microbiome space, I realized that antibiotic treatment is one of the most potent ways to alter microbiome. And not just that, but early life disruptions in this way can lead to future chronic illnesses as a person ages. And my own daughter, I could see that she was potentially at risk for some of these specific chronic illnesses uh, that are associated with the microbiome. And so I realized I had a chance to not only fill a gap in the microbiome space and be a part of this new science and medicine, but also maybe create something that could help my own kid. Great. And what's Pendulum's approach to the microbiome? 
this most core level, Pendulum's approach is really as a scientific and medically founded microbiome interventions company. And so everything we do up until literally commercialization looks a lot like what you would do in a pharmaceutical company. And so, you know, it really starts with a high resolution discovery platform, identifying potential interventions and targets, testing it through preclinical and clinical trials, creating something of efficacy. And then because the microbiome space offers this unique opportunity to create products for consumers or create products for patients, that enables us to put a product into the market where it has the most opportunity of having impact. Mm. And so the process is really grounded and founded in science and medicine, but then ultimately pairing that with nutrition and understanding a person's lifestyle and how to bring better health to individuals. There's lots of hype around the, the microbiome, as I'm sure you're, you're well aware, and the need for the scientific discipline and equipoise is, is really important in the microbiome for, for all these companies that are studying the microbiome. What are some of the challenges that you faced when you tell people that you're working on the microbiome and their, their understanding of it, or perhaps helping them get a better sense of why this is an important space? Well, obviously, I think there's a huge opportunity in the microbiome space yeah. and that there is an opportunity to create a whole variety of different products that are going to help people. Um, I do acknowledge that there is a potential overhyping issue that can be detrimental to the progress in the field. And so I think it's really important that uh, we stress this strong foundation in science and medicine. And there will be, as with any field that's starting to take off, there will be me-toos and hanger-ons and, and look-alike products that will come into the space that will just be capitalizing on its hype. And that's a real problem for the people who are really dedicated to creating products that help people. And so when I talk to people, I think there aren't so many people who really know the phrase microbiome, although that is a growing number yeah. of people. I think a lot of people understand the concept of gut health and that your gut plays an important role in your health. And then the amount of science and medicine that people really need to understand in products that are being created is quite low. And so I think the challenge is really trying to differentiate companies and products that are truly founded on science from ones that are saying they're founded on science but are really just great marketing innovation. Mm. And that's really what I try to help educate people on. There's been a big push of just simply looking at the number of CFUs on a probiotic bottle and more must be better. And that's yeah. how many people evaluate probiotics yeah. is I, I'm looking for the one that has the most CFUs. Yeah. And really, I think we can elevate that conversation to say, what is your probiotic doing for you? What do you expect it to do for you? And what is it doing? Not just a label of a certain number of CFUs, but hey, I have a disease. And when I take this probiotic, I experience an improvement in that. And that is going to be the next generation of medical probiotics that we see out there where it is is not just general gut health, but it's really targeting something that is scientifically medically founded. Hmm. I have a little bit of experience in the microbiome, and I think the complexity and heterogeneity of the microbiome and connecting that then to physiological effects is something that is still an open question for, for so many of us in the industry, but we you know, obviously feel that it's played such an important part in just figuring out where it can play the most important part as quickly as possible is commendable. Would love to understand the founding story. So how did you meet your co-founders and then also just what fundraising looked like for a company like this? I met my co-founders at Pacific Biosciences, which was the sequencing company I was at before we started Pendulum. We had all worked together for several years. We weren't actually in the same department, but we were collaborating on building that instrument on the technical side. So I'm a biochemist. Uh, one of my co-founders is a physicist, and the third one's a biostatistician. So we're all pretty technical in our background. 
I think the key things that made us want to start a company together were that we identified these needs uh, and these gaps that we could fill. We all agreed that we could fill them together. We're kind of a cross-functional team, even just the three of us. I think more importantly, we have a real bond of mutual respect and then also being able to brainstorm together in a really open and collaborative way. And I'll just say, when we first started the company, it was just the three of us, we would have these intense conversations about, you know, what could we build here? What is the real opportunity? And when we hired our first employee who sat in on these conversations, that person gave us feedback that I thought this company was about to end. You guys were having this intense fight and I thought it was going to be over. <laughs> what they didn't appreciate was that that's really how we uh, interacted with each other. But I think we all know that we deeply care about the mission of the company and we're driven by that. And that we all have a great respect for each other. And there's not really anything that any of us can say to each other that's going to end that mutual respect and common goal. And so that kind of enables you to get really candid. I think over time as the company has grown and there's been a lot more voices and a lot more expertise coming in, that's gotten diluted in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the beginnings of it. In terms of launching into fundraising, none of us had any background in starting a company or fundraising. And probably the biggest challenge was vocabulary. I think that every field and every specialty has its own vocabulary. And the first step in learning a new field is actually learning how to talk that language. And so I I definitely had my first pitch meetings where I didn't even understand how to answer a question as simple as what is your business model? Mm -hmm. So I talked about the microbiome and this great opportunity and all the science, all these products could be made. And then I'd be asked the question, what is your business model? And I would say, well, I just told you, there's this microbiome science and it's so great. And there's big opportunities. Yeah. I think at some point I even had to ask, like, is this, could you give me a few options of what, what could be a business model? And so I think there's just a big learning curve in, in that. And at the end of the day, you know, to be totally honest, we did not get our first funding from a venture capitalist, despite those being the first people that we went to go talk to. Our first funding came from the Mayo Clinic, mm -hmm. and that was because they also saw a big opportunity in the microbiome space in the future of health and medicine. And we had brought in customers that we were doing sequencing and analysis for in the microbiome space, and they were able to evaluate the quality of that work. And so that was how we actually first got launched, was offering a service where people would pay us to do this analysis and then using that data to get the Mayo Clinic to invest in That's us great. and then ultimately getting venture backed. What were some of the questions, because you have, you know, tier one investors that have invested in you guys, what were some of the questions that, let's say, tech investors that perhaps didn't have great experience in the life sciences, what were some of the questions that you were receiving from them where you had to potentially educate them on what the microbiome was, and then juxtapose that with questions that perhaps life science investors were, were asking you? I think... Seven years ago, actually, all of these investors had something in common, which is not many of them even knew about the microbiome. Yeah. I remember my first pitches, I was literally describing what the microbiome was. Of course, now uh, most investors are quite savvy to the space and you don't have to do that explanation. So I think what they had, and we just started with what they had in common, which was having to describe what the opportunity was here. I think one of the other things that they had in common was the risk around me as a founder and as an, an entrepreneur. And that risk is that while our science and knowledge of this space could have been quite strong, 
there was an unknown around, could we really build a company? Could we execute on it? Do we understand how to build IP around the company? Do we understand how to structure a company for growth? Um, and that's something that anybody who invested in us was taking a risk on our ability to execute. And so the other commonality besides not knowing microbiome is also not knowing our ability to build something. And I spent my first pitches having slide decks that were about 25 slides long, 24 of which were about the science, and yeah. one of which was this opportunity of business, uh, this business opportunity. And I would say the evolution for me was by the end that had been flipped. There were still 25 slides, but 24 were about the business yeah. opportunity and all the things that I understood about what it took to build this high growth company. And then one slide about the science had almost been distilled down to a cartoon. Yeah. Because I think the fact is you have to know who you are as an entrepreneur when you go in to talk to people. And people have a trust that if we thought this science was an opportunity, that there probably was an opportunity. And then it was all the unknowns about building a company that we had to answer to in those pitches. I think conversely, if you are really business savvy and understand operations, your pitch deck probably has to be much more focused on why they should believe that this science is an opportunity. So it's kind of knowing yourself and knowing what the person's going to be wondering about. Then to get a little bit more granular on these two different types of, of venture groups, I think you pointed it out quite nicely, which is that a life science venture fund will understand the general blueprint for developing an intervention, mm -hmm. but they will not necessarily understand or appreciate what it means to develop something for a consumer. And then opposite side, somebody who understands tech and consumers understands the value of the data we are creating and then understands that there's a big consumer market that's going to be coming for gut health products, but maybe needs to be educated on what is the timing for creating an intervention in a space where we know almost nothing at the onset. And that was just being realistic about those timelines was an important part of the pitch that was somewhat counterintuitive to a quick ROI. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, always shocked at how different life science pitch decks are compared <laughs> to, you know, the, the Airbnb pitch decks that are, that are out there uh, where there's lots of graphs in life science VC decks and how beautifully designed tech decks tend to be. <laughs> yes. And so what is, uh, what's Pendulum working on now? So particular disease areas that you're focusing on and, and, and what's ahead for, for Pendulum? Yeah, we got interested very early on in metabolic syndrome. So type 2 diabetes, prediabetes, obesity. This is, of course, a huge growing epidemic, not only in the United States, but globally. Mm -hmm. And we felt like there was a huge opportunity to help a lot of people. And there was really good early evidence that the microbiome plays an important role in metabolism. For some people, that seems counterintuitive. You think about microbiome and a lot of GI disorders and things like that. But when you think about it, all the food you eat first goes to your gut, and it's metabolized by your gut microbiome. So so if there is a problem with the way that your microbiome is metabolizing food, that shows up in things like metabolic syndrome. And so scientifically, we thought there was an opportunity. We knew that there was ability to help a lot of people uh, with the disease. And so we have spent the last six years focused on developing an intervention for people with type 2 diabetes. And I'm super excited to say that we recently got back clinical trial results showing that we were able to help people with type 2 diabetes. This is people who are on metformin, and so it's on top of metformin where we saw efficacy. And it's basically an efficacy that is on par with pharmaceutical drugs. So we were able to, compare to the placebo group, this is a placebo-controlled double-blind yeah. randomized trial, compared to the placebo group, we were able to see the A1C lower by 0.6%, wow. and the blood glucose spikes lower by 33%. So that is super exciting when you yeah. can create a product that has actual efficacy behind it. Yeah. And the current challenge is, all right, how do we bring this to the world and how we bring it into people's homes and into their lives? 
slides. And so we are really at the launch of pendulum glucose control, which has the ability to lower A1C and glucose spikes for people with type 2 diabetes. And so you can check us out at pendulumlife.com. But that's really the first product that we're working on. And then we have a few additional things in our discovery platform targeting other diseases that are also microbiome interventions. That's great. Very exciting clinical results. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. If you think about you, know, you guys as a, as a company now, are there particular life science companies that you think have done a really nice job of maintaining scientific integrity, but going after this, this consumer market rather than going down you know, the, the IND route? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very hard. The, the biggest challenge to doing something like this is that you don't fall kind of squarely into the bucket of a pharmaceutical drug, and you don't fall squarely into the bucket of a super inexpensive consumer product. You're really spending the dollars required to demonstrate efficacy, but then saying, all right, I want to bring it to consumers. So I do think that there are a few companies that have done this really well. The first one that comes to mind is J&J. They have a really strong pharmaceutical arm that does drugs, but they also have this incredible incredible consumer arm. And I think because the company has been grounded, you know, started by a physician, uh, has been grounded in, in strong science and medicine, they're able to use that brand and that trust to create a variety of products in groups where trust is super important, you know, baby products and um, other products. And I think for us, it's a similar thing where by being grounded in science and medicine, um, we hope to gain the trust and earn the trust of consumers who are dealing with chronic illnesses like type 2 diabetes, where they really need to trust the person they're working with to help them. Yeah. If you look back on your path to date, what have been either, let's say, the, the biggest lessons learned or something that you would like to warn your, your younger self about? <laughs> I think almost like having children is best to not know <laughs> what you're getting yourself into. I think one of the things that's been kind of an unanticipated surprise for me is how rewarding it is to be an entrepreneur. Now, I started this company because I saw a gap and a need and thought I could do something for people, but then also myself. And I, I think what I didn't appreciate was that every morning when I wake up and every night when I go to bed, I am facing a day where every minute is a continued learning experience and is driven solely to help other people. And that is extremely rewarding. For me personally, I did not appreciate how much learning there would be that was necessary for this job. But I'm also learning about myself that I like that. It's dynamic, it's different, there's new challenges. And that in and of itself is rewarding. And I think paired with the mission of trying to help people, I sleep like a baby every night and I wake up fired up for the current day's challenge. So I think I didn't realize how invigorating it was going to be to be in the health space and create products that really benefit people. Yeah. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and sharing the exciting work that's happening here at, at Pendulum and, and the exciting clinical results. Look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.